Uh, so if you have a Bible, you can open up to Philippians chapter one. That's where we'll be hanging out this morning. And we're gonna be talking about signs and uh, yeah, billboards. So I wanted to start by, uh, would, hey, Cammie, can I have my clicker? I forgot the clicker. I'm sorry. Uh, I wanted to share some of my favorite church signs. Have you guys ever seen like those, those funny church signs? I had a little bit of a collection of some of my favorites that I wanted to share with you guys. We're talking about signs this morning. So uh, here's some of my favorite ones here. Forgive your enemies. It messes with their heads. <laughs> what is missing from church? You are. Aww. Isn't that nice? This too shall pass. It might pass like a kidney stone, but it's going to pass. <laughs> We're all about that grace, about that grace, no devil. <laughs> That's pretty good, right? Sign broken message inside. That's pretty clever, right? <laughs> Look at this one, debt, doing everything but tithing. <laughs> God wants soul custody, not weekend visitation. <laughs> soul custody, get it? Whoever stole our AC units, keep one. It's hot where you're going. <laughs> oh, that's good, right? This is a good Florida one here. Too hot to change, keep changing the sign. Sin bad, Jesus good. Details inside. <laughs> this is one I petitioned hard for when we opened this new building. Finally, brothers, aim for perfection. <laughs> you get it? <laughs> I think this is the last one. You know what? I, I, this, this next one, I don't know if they, if they planned this or if it just happened. Uh, I'm just going to let you read it for yourself. Uh, <laughs> oh, good times. Well, uh, this morning we're talking about signs, talking about billboards. Uh, has anyone uh, ever seen like a really good marketing ad? I think of like some of the really good marketing ads. Or driving to Disney as a kid is something I always remember is like as we got closer, seeing the billboards for the signs and just being so excited, like, ooh, it's gonna be so fun. And uh, there's one company I think that does it better than almost anyone else, and that's Geico, right? Geico's got good, good marketing. And my kids love Geico. They love Geico. I mean, everywhere we go, if they see a Geico sign, they, they yell it out for everyone in the car to see. Geico, Geico, or a Geico commercial comes on. It's like, everyone be quiet. We got to watch the Geico commercial. They live the little Geico lizard, now, or the gecko. I, I, I think that I'm a pretty good dad for the most part. I don't disappoint my kids often, but there was one time where I did disappoint my kids. And that's when my five-year-old son asked me, dad, what kind of car insurance do we have? And I said, I'm, I'm sorry, buddy, I know, but we have, we have Allstate. And he goes, what? What? We don't have Geico? And I said, I know, buddy, I'm sorry, but, you know, it was, I know Geico's cool, but Allstate was just cheaper. And he said, dad, are you sure? Because you know 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on your car insurance. <laughs> So we're talking about billboards this morning, talking about signs, and I want to ask you a, an interesting question, and I want to ask, what is your life marketing? What is your life pointing people towards? 
And if God were to come to you and say, hey, listen, I'm putting together, uh, I'm trying to you know, grow, the, grow the church, I'm putting together a, you know, a new marketing campaign, and I wanna just capture the essence of your life and stamp it on a billboard, my question is, how enticing would this billboard be? If we were to stamp your life onto a sign, stamp it up on a billboard, how effective of a marketing campaign would it be? Do you live a life that, that preaches the gospel, that, that points people to the grace of God, that lives a, a display of the power of the Holy Spirit? How effective is the sign of your life? And what is your life pointing people to? Uh, if you have a Bible, you can open up to Philippians chapter one. We're gonna hang out uh, in a small little chunk of scripture. Uh, in Philippians chapter one, we're gonna go through verse 27 through 30. So I'll read it, I'll have it up here on the screen and then we'll go back in and, and break it apart. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in, the, in, in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened by any one, any, not be frightened by any, in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So that's where we're hanging out this morning. I wanna start uh, right there in the first two words. Whatever happens, he starts by kind of hedging everything that he's about to say with this statement. Whatever happens, whatever happens, going forward, everything I say, I'm starting with this statement, whatever happens, no matter what, no conditions, it doesn't change based off the circumstances we're going through or, or how your week is going, whatever happens. It almost reminds me of like a coach who's preparing his team for a big game, right? Like, all right, we're, we're going out there. We know the game plan. We put the game plan together. No matter what, we're going to keep pushing forward. We're going to do it. We're going to implement our game plan, whatever it takes, whatever happens, no matter what they throw at us, no matter the adversity we face, no excuses. He starts it with whatever happens. Well, what if I just like had a rough week? Whatever happens. Well, what, what if my boss is like really being a jerk to me? What, what, if my, what if my coworkers are just getting on my nerves? What if someone cuts me off in traffic, right? What, whatever happens. It all starts with that. Whatever happens. And I think one thing that's so significant about this is that, uh, that he says what, about the reason he says whatever happens is thinking about the conditions he's in as he writes this book. Paul wrote the book of Philippians from a prison in Rome. And so he's going through a pretty rough uh, set of circumstances there. You can imagine what he's going through. And he's going through this incredibly tough time. And I think that that just brings so much validity to everything that he's about to say. That he says whatever happens. And he's not writing it from, you know, the pool of his mansion. You know, he's writing it from a Roman prison. Whatever it takes. So he's about to commission us to something big. And as he begins, he's, he sets it all by saying whatever happens, always, no matter what, no matter the season of life, whether we're on the mountaintop or in the valley, whatever happens, conduct yourself 
in a manner worthy of the gospel. The King James Version says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So I think we all know what conduct is, right? It's our actions, our behavior, the way we live, the way that we conduct ourselves. Whatever happens, our actions should be worthy of the gospel. And he, and he sets out to make that perfectly clear. Whatever happens, no matter what, only, does everyone know what the word only means? Only means only. It means nothing further, only. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. So let me ask you a question. What do you think the biggest uh, critique of Christians is? Hypocrites, right? Or hypocritical. I hear that all the time. The church is hypocritical. Christians are hypocrites, right? We hear that all the time. We're called to live this life of integrity. Whatever happens, our life should point to the gospel. Our actions need to line up with what we believe. And this is something that we hear that, you know, Christians are hypocrites. The church, they're hypocrites. They, they look on other people's sin and, and cast judgment while overlooking their own sin. They criticize people for sinning in a certain way, but just have kind of casual relationships with their own sin. And Paul is telling us, listen, this can't fly. We have to live a life that is consistent with what we believe. The gospel is not just something that we believe in, but it's something that we must live out. No matter what, everything we do should point to the gospel. Our lives should be a billboard of the gospel. Our lives should be a living display of Jesus We've all received so much through Jesus and now it needs to be passed on through us as we live as reflections of him. So the grace that we have received is now the grace that we are called to show. The forgiveness that we have received is now the forgiveness that we're called to show. The love that we've received is now the love that we're called to show. The gospel is for us and is now meant to be passed on through us as we live a life reflecting what we've received through Christ. You guys know the, the story of the unforgiving servant? It's in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, Peter asked Jesus, hey, how many times am I supposed to forgive? Seven times? Is that enough? Like, if you forgive someone seven times? And Jesus said, no, not seven times, but 70, seven times, seven times 70 so Peter's like, hang on, okay, so I gotta get 70 times seven, so that's, a, and, and as, he's, as he's taking out his smartphone to calculate the exact number, Jesus uh, uh, told a story to illustrate exactly what he meant. And he tells, tells him this story about a king. The king set out to settle his accounts with everyone. And so he brings in this servant who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. It was a debt that this guy could not repay he was nowhere near being able to repay. He would never be able to repay this debt. And so the king ordered for the, the man's family, his wife and his kids and all of his possessions be sold to repay this debt. And when the man heard that, he fell on his knees. He fell on his knees and he, he begged the king, please, please be patient with me. Please, I'll, I'll repay you everything I owe you. Just please be patient patient with me. And the king looked at him and he felt pity for him. And so the king decides to show him this incredible grace. He not only just gives him time, 
or gives him more time to repay the debt, get a second job. He completely forgives him. He completely forgives him a debt that was gonna cost this guy everything. His wife, his kids, every possession he had, he was about to lose all of it. The king decides to completely forgive him and allows him to go free. So the servant has just received this incredible freedom and he goes out and he finds a man who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabs the man and begins to choke him and says, pay me back what you owe me. And guess what the guy does? He falls to his knees and says, please, please be patient with me. Please be patient with me. Give me some time. I'll repay back what I owe you. Just be patient with me. But the servant did not show him the same mercy that he received. He had the man thrown in prison because he couldn't pay the debt that was owed to him. So now as the word starts to spread of this, the other people here on and they're like, what? Are you kidding me? This, this guy did this? After he was received this amazing forgiveness, he was given his freedom, he went and held this guy to that little debt, had him thrown in prison. So when the king heard of this, he was, he was furious and he called the servant in and he said, you wicked servant, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Then he had the servant handed over to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. And then Jesus ended by saying this. He said, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Whew, that's pretty serious. That's pretty, that's pretty brutal. It's pretty intense. But as you listen to this story, it's almost like, what? Like, how could he do that? Like you had a debt that was gonna cost you everything, your wife, your kids, all your possessions. There's no way you could ever pay this back. You've been forgiven of a debt you never could have repaid. And what does he do? He goes and finds someone who holds a hundred silver coins. And he chokes them, has them thrown in prison. And it almost seems like, what? How could, how could he do that? But the rea reality is, is, is that's us. It's a story about me. It's a story about you. Every time that we don't forgive, every time that we don't extend grace, we're that unforgiving servant. Because the truth is, is that each of us through Jesus, he paid a debt for us, a debt that we could never pay on our own. I could never pay it on my own. You could never do it on your own. That's why Jesus had to come in the first place. He came to live the perfect sinless life, something none of us could do. And then he gave up that life on a cross for us. He gave us the forgiveness. He gave us that grace. What we have received through Jesus is so much more than we could even comprehend. And now the word of God calls us to live a life that reflects that. All of what we've received through the gospel that's what our conduct should reflect. That's what our actions should reflect. No matter what, our actions need to reflect the grace, the forgiveness, the love that we've received through the gospel. So this is a, a big call, right? It, it, it's, a, it's a pretty big call. Whatever happens, no exceptions. I know life gets tough. I know you go through the tough the tough parts and things don't always go according to plans, but whatever happens, our actions got to reflect the gospel. So Paul starts by calling us to this big thing. It can seem tough, but he doesn't end it there. He says this, he says, then 
Whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one. So when we answer the call to live this sort of life, no matter what happens, no matter what I face, no matter my circumstances, no matter what the enemy throws at me, I will live a life that reflects the gospel. When we live that life, man, it can be tough. It can be tough and also it can get really lonely if we try and do it alone. Because living a life that reflects the gospel means that we will be living a life that is opposite to all that the world values, right? Living this sort of life will lead us to become outsiders. And so once Paul has called us to this sort of life, he tells us, don't do it alone. I know, I know it's a big ask here. I know that this seems like a tough task, but I'm not saying to go do it alone. I'm calling you to do this together. When we live this way, we're outsiders. We are aliens of this world. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, living in a broken world. We're the outsiders here. And if we don't do it together, it can get lonely and it can get discouraging. And so he says, stand firm in one spirit, striving together. That word striving, he's acknowledging it, right? It's striving, we're carrying it, right? He's acknowledging that this is not the easiest path. We're gonna strive together. That, 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 that word pairing there, strive together, it means to struggle along with someone. This sort of life can be a struggle. And so Paul calls us to come and struggle together, to carry each other's burdens, to walk alongside each other, praying for each other, encouraging each other, using our gifts together. We gotta fight this battle together. Stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one. Paul is calling us to unity and he's calling us to oneness. We are a team. We're God's team and we're in this battle together and it's a tough one. We fight against an enemy that's no joke. He's not just a red dude with a pitchfork that wants to poke you. He's coming at us. We need our brothers and sisters in this battle with us. We need to have the faith that knowing that, that we have an army around us, that we're not fighting this battle alone, knowing that there's people there for us when the struggle gets tough. First Peter uh, 2 verse nine says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into this marvelous light. God has called us out of the darkness and he's called us together, right? He doesn't just say, hey, you alone by yourself. He says, no, 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 us, the people of God, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, we are a community. We are a called out community. You see it on the way in. Russell preaches about it all the time. We are the ecclesia. We're not just some building where we come and sing some songs and someone says something encouraging and we leave. We are a called out community, called together as a team, called together as an army to fight alongside each other, to carry each other's burdens and fight this battle together. That's why you ever hear people say, oh, you know, I'm good, I'm good. Like I got my relationship with God. 
I'm good. There's a lot of resources these days. Like I, I can watch some sermons on YouTube. Like, you know, I'm good. I'll listen to my worship music on Spotify. I'm good. I don't really need to go and do the whole church thing. Man, that, that's heartbreaking. When you see the truth of what the church is supposed to be, and we understand what that is, man, we are robbing ourselves by not being a part of it. Man, that, that couldn't be more wrong. You do need the church. I need the church. You need the church. We need each other because God has given us this mission to fulfill and he's placed us on a team to do it. You've been called out of the darkness into this marvelous light to proclaim the excellencies, right? To, we, have a, we have a mission to fulfill and we're called to do it together. If we don't participate in church, then we're robbing ourselves. We're, we'll be hindering our spiritual growth. We'll be, we'll be robbing ourselves of purpose. We need each other because we are in a battle and we've been given a mission that is much too important to forsake. Now, I preach about the church a lot because I love church. It's one of the reasons I became a pastor. And uh, I'm telling you, so many times I've had people come up to me and say this, hey, 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 let me, let me run something past you here. What happens if I get deserted on an island and all I got is my Bible? I got an excuse not to go to church then? Do I need the church then? Am I good? I got my Bible. I got God. I got my relationship with God. What if I'm a deserted on an island? And I say, no, you better build yourself a lifeboat and get your butt to church. Get off that island and get your... I'm joking. I'm joking. But this is really interesting. You know, John, when he was exiled on the island of Pathmos, he's on a deserted island. What'd he do? Wrote the book of Revelation. He wrote letters to the church. We're looking at Paul this morning. When he was put in prison, what was he doing? He's writing letters to the church. Man, the, Peter says it, and John says it, and Jesus says it, and Paul says it. They all says it. Said, they all says it. <laughs> they all says it. You heard it here first. We need each other. We've been called together with a mission. This Christianity is a team sport. You can't do it alone. You might be an awesome quarterback. If you ain't got no one to catch the ball when you throw it, you're not gonna win the game. And you'll probably get sacked pretty quick if no one's there to back you up, right? We've all been given gifts. We are all made unique. And God called us out of this darkness into the marvelous light together to proclaim it, to share this gospel with the world together as his team. If anyone could have done it alone, it would have been Jesus, right? Jesus, he's God in the flesh. He could have just came, lived the perfect life, done the cross thing, took off, but he didn't. What did he do first? He started his ministry. First thing he did, he drafted a team. The first pick, I select a bunch of fishermen, right? He went out there and he, he, he surrounded himself with a bunch of guys that he shared the mission with, that he shared the ministry with. And, and he invested in them. And he shared his life with them. He gave them opportunities to be a part of it. Jesus built a community around him. What about God? God himself, wanna know how we know community is important to God? He himself is a community, right? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He's never alone. He's three people in one. So we see it, right? There, there's this really interesting verse. It's in John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verse four. And Jesus, this is before he goes to the cross, before he dies, before the resurrection, before all that kind of stuff. And he's praying. And he says this, he says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. To what? You didn't go to the cross yet. You didn't die. You didn't, you didn't do the resurrection. We didn't celebrate Easter yet. 
I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. See, Jesus' mission was bigger than just come and die. Now, don't hear me wrong. I mean, the, the cross and the resurrection, is, is we're hopeless without it. It's the reason we celebrate. The whole Bible points to it. It is the purpose of it all. But Jesus had a mission before he went to the cross. He had to invest in these guys. He had to prepare someone to run the ball after he left. He had to start building the church because Jesus's plan for the earth is the church, okay? The church might not be perfect. Maybe you're here and you've been hurt by the church. You've been gone through something tough and, and, and maybe the church has rubbed you the wrong way or maybe you've bounced around a lot and haven't really quite found that home. Jesus' plan for the earth is the church. We've been called together to do this together. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's, it's a powerful team that we get to be a part of. Jesus himself didn't do it alone. All these authors of the Bible have told us how essential it is. So Jesus invested into those men. He shared his life with them. And he said, now go do what I've done with you. Go and multiply, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. They kicked off that ministry then and we still carry the torch here today. This is our mission. The mission of the church from 2000 years ago is the mission that we all continue today and that we all play a part of. And we got to do it together. We got to do this together. Now, unity sounds nice, right? I said, I said, we can, he's, he wants us to have unity and oneness. That sounds nice, right? Like, oh, my church is so unified. Like I go there and everyone's nice and they shake your hand and everyone's smiling, right? Well, unity is so much more than just nice. It's not just nice, it's necessary. Paul is saying, we, we gotta do this together. We gotta carry these burdens. We can't do this alone. We need each other. It's not just nice, it is necessary. We have been given a tough task. We cannot do it alone. And it's far too important to just neglect it and move on. We need unity Church, we have to pursue unity. We have to pursue oneness. We've all been made different. We've come from different places. We have different backgrounds. And that is the power of the church. We've been called together as God's team. Now, here's the cool part. Now, Paul says that when we do this, this is what happens. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. So Paul calls us, we gotta live this life, no matter what, whatever happens, we gotta live a life that reflects the gospel. Our actions gotta point to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we gotta do this together. We gotta strive together. We gotta stand firm in this world. And when we do this, the world will look on like a billboard and it will be an advertisement of the gospel. It will be a display of the power, the transforming power of Jesus. I told you a little bit about billboards. I remember when I was, uh, when I was young, we were going on this road trip. And uh, has anyone ever heard of South the Border? South the border. We were driving and it's this place south of the border and it's in South Carolina, right? South Carolina, North Carolina, south of the border. We're driving up and oh man, these billboards are everywhere, all over the place. I had no idea what it was, but I remember telling my parents, we gotta go to this place. 
They spent this much money on billboards. Like this place has got to be good. I mean, there was just billboard and a mile later, another one and a year, another one and another mile, another one. They're everywhere. I'm like, this place looks awesome. They were colorful. All the people looked like they were having fun. I don't even know what it was. I just wanted to, I got to go there. I got to be a part of that, right? And I think that church, we have the power to do that. We have the power to live together to love each other, to care each other, to reflect what we received in the gospel, to show forgiveness to each other, to show grace to each other, to have a unity that the world does not experience, to have a community that the world does not experience. And when the world looks on and they see, man, there's something there. I gotta go, I gotta go see what this is about. That's what he says. It, it will be a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved. That's pretty powerful. That's a pretty powerful sign that someone's gonna look on and say, hey, I'm gonna be destroyed. They're gonna be saved. Maybe I should think about that for a minute. So if someone looked at our life, what signs do they see in us? If someone looked at your life, what's the sign? What is your life pointing to? What are your actions pointing to? We have a huge opportunity here. We have a huge opportunity here Let's not miss it. If someone printed our life and put it on a billboard, how enticing would it be? Now, I know he wasn't talking about a physical you know, billboard, a physical sign, but I looked up sign in the dictionary just to make sure I wasn't you know, going off too much here. And this is really cool. This was the definition. It says an object, quality, or event whose presence or occurrence indicates the probable presence or occurrence of something else. Isn't that cool? Paul is telling us our actions, the life we live will be a sign. The actions that we live will be a sign directing people to the gospel. Our presence should indicate the probable presence of something else, Jesus. When we live a life worthy of the gospel and we stand firm together and we're striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened by those who oppose us. It'll be a sign to the world. See, the world is on a path to destruction, a highway to hell, literally. And we stand on the shoulder of the road with a sign. It says, exit here, exit for life. So my question is, are people noticing the sign of your life? Are people looking on and noticing or are they just zooming right past it? Is your sign bold enough is your sign enticing enough? Is the life that you live reflecting the gospel in a powerful way? Does your presence point to the presence of the Holy Spirit? Now, Paul kind of called us to this big thing, gives us the comfort of doing us together. And then he, he kind of leaves us on this. He circles back around to that difficult part. Verse 29 for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Isn't that like the weirdest wording you ever heard? Granted to suffer. You've been, you've been granted to suffer. Congratulations. You're the lucky winner. You get to suffer, <laughs> right? It's been granted to you. You've been given permission to go ahead and suffer. Granted to suffer. Gee, thanks. I appreciate that, right? It's such interesting phrasing. And so we look at it, it's like, Paul, like, what are you talking about, man? Like, what do you mean by this? Like, this has been granted to me? Like, I've been given some special privilege or something that I get to go and suffer? 
But the truth is, it's really not a mystery. That's exactly what he meant. It's literally exactly what he meant. This was the mindset of Paul. When we look at his life, man, Paul was a disaster. He was a mess. Jesus stepped in and saved him from his life of sin. Jesus went to the cross for Paul, just like he went to the cross for me, just like he went to the cross for you. And he suffered on our behalf. And that was the mindset of Paul is that Jesus transformed my life. He suffered for me. And so Paul saw it as a privilege to be able to suffer for Jesus, for the progress of the gospel. Now, like the tough guy in me kind of reads this. I'm like, oh man, how am I supposed to preach this? You know, like this is a guy writing from prison. They're being thrown in prison for their faith. And he's like, listen, we got to suffer for Christ. And like the tough guy in me is like, what am I say today? Like, I know it's tough out there. If you share your faith at work, you might not get invited to Dave's birthday party or, you know, they might not judge you or you got to find a new lunch table or something. <laughs> it's tough out here, right? Like we don't obviously go through the same persecution that they did at that time, but there's a real enemy. There's a real enemy that is coming after us. And when we start living this sort of life, he will not like it. We become a threat to his kingdom when we start living as a reflection of the gospel. He wants to come and tear down that sign. He wants everyone stuck on the highway to hell, not looking at the exit signs towards Jesus. That's not something he wants. So he comes after us. We are in a real battle. We are in a real battle and we gotta fight it together, right? We are the army of the kingdom of God, bringing light into the darkness. The devil ain't gonna just sit by and let it happen. We are in a spiritual war. So Paul, as he sits in this Roman prison, he writes this letter and he says, this is great. This is great. I get to suffer for Jesus. The gospel is actually advancing because I'm in this prison. I get to preach to all these prison guards and they look at me and guess what? They see the sign because here I am locked up in prison and they look at the joy that I have and they look at the peace that I have and they look at the freedom that I have and they look at the hope that I have. They look at the sign of my life and they're like, what? And now the gospel is spreading because despite his terrible circumstances, whatever happens, he was living as a reflection of the gospel, even when put in the worst circumstances. And so what the enemy meant for evil, we got him, we got him, we locked him up, we put him in prison, we'll shut him up now. No, what the enemy meant for evil, Paul used it to bring validity to the truth and the power of his testimony, that my freedom is not in this world, my freedom is not whether I got chains on, my freedom's in Christ, I've been set free. And so Paul's life served as a sign of the power of the gospel. And so people would look on and be like, I know he's the prisoner, but I want what he's got. I want what he's got. And so he says, look, it's not just about believing, but also suffering for him. Unfortunately, I think that so many Christians slot into the first half of the sentence of just believing. I got my faith. I, I know this stuff. I, I know God. I go to church. I do the thing. Suffering for him. It's a tough sell, right? Trying to sell you on suffering. It's kind of a tough sell. It's been granted to us not just to believe, but also to suffer for him. It's not just about the church attendance thing and, and, and going to church and having a religion. It's about a life 
a life as an outsider, an alien, a citizen of a different kingdom, a life that's worthy of the gospel, banding together as the church to accomplish a mission that is so much bigger than what we could do on our own. Living this life boldly as a sign to the world, leading them away from that destruction towards life. That's our call. But here's the good news. It's not just, hey, just go out there and suffer. And then you'll go to heaven one day. And no, no, no. I love this, 1 Peter 5, verse eight through 10. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. We have the promises of his scripture. Not just go out there and suffer, it's gonna be tough, and then you'll die and you'll get to go to heaven. No, no, no. He says, I myself will restore you. Jesus himself, once we've suffered for a little while, he himself will restore you. Peter echoes the same thing of Paul, right? We're fighting against a real enemy, an enemy, he's just like this hungry lion, just looking for someone to dive into. We gotta carry this burden together and fight through this. In verse 30, he closes it up by saying this, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here I still have. The story behind this is really cool. It takes place in Acts chapter 16 when Paul and Silas were thrown in prison in Philippi, where he writes this book to. He's writing this book to these people who had seen something happen with Paul. So in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, after being stripped and beaten with rods and being severely flogged without any sort of trial, they're then thrown in prison. And they were placed in inner cells deep within the prison. They were, they were, their, their feet were strapped with, with stocks and they were told to be watched like hawks. Make sure that these guys don't escape. And these guys were going through the roughest of circumstances. Without trial, they're flogged, they're beaten, and they're held like these horrible prisoners that might try and escape. So you imagine they're probably pretty deflated. Well, around midnight, we find them singing worship songs, <laughs> right? Their response was the hope that they had in Christ, right? So they're, they're, they're praying, and it says they were singing songs of worship. I imagine they're, there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. And then guess what happens? The chains break. I don't know for a fact they were actually singing that song, but there's this violent earthquake that shatters the prison, their chains were broken and the prisoners went free. Everyone was looking on in awe and wondered. They didn't like run out like, yo, let's get out of here. After that, they're like, no, you guys, you guys can go. We're good, right? You guys sang a song and destroyed the prison. You can move along. We're good here. <laughs> they sang songs and they, they start worshiping God after being beaten, being whipped and, I mean, being flogged and, and then chained up like they had done something horrible without even undergoing a trial. And they just respond by singing these songs of worship. And Paul says, remember that? You guys remember that in Philippi? You remember when that happened? God himself restored me. We suffered. It hurt. We were whipped. We were beaten. We were thrown in prison. 
but God had a plan. God was with us. God was sovereign over all and he himself restored me. Paul says he came through for me. We can suffer on his behalf and know that he too will come through for us. So regardless of what we face in this world, whatever happens when the suffering comes, let's live a life worthy of the gospel. What is your life pointing people to? We've been called to live this life, not just about believing, not just about some religion, but about action that is consistent with what we believe. We've been called out and called together with a purpose. We need each other. Striving together as one in unity, as the family of God, as the army of God, fighting this battle, living together with a purpose, knowing what's at stake, that the life we live will be a sign to a world that is on a path to destruction and we can lead them towards eternal life. Man, let's not miss that opportunity. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you and God, we thank you for who you are. God, I know this world is difficult. I know we get things thrown at us. We suffer loss. We lose family members. We go through things that we can't quite wrap our heads around. We live in this broken world because of sin. So I don't wanna discount that But God, I thank you that you've called us out of the darkness of the world into a marvelous light. You've called us into hope. You've given us grace. God, the transformation you've made in our lives is unexplainable. So God, I pray that that we wouldn't just live lives that blend in with the rest of the world. God, that the grace that we've received, the forgiveness that we've received, the love, the mercy we've received, we would go out and display it to the world, that we would live our lives as a sign to the world. As we live as a reflection of you, Jesus. God, I pray that when people look to us, when they look to Hammock Street Church, they would see a mighty display of the transforming power of Jesus. That when people look on at what's happening here, they would be drawn in. That they would wanna take the exit of that road to destruction and come find life. God, I pray that we would, we, would, we, would, we wouldn't just take this unity thing as something nice or something cute and warm and fuzzy, but God, we would be committed to it knowing that there's an enemy coming against us and we gotta fight this battle together. So God, I pray that you would unite this church, that the people here would join together as your family, that we would join together as an army to carry each other's burdens and fight this battle together. God, and we love you and thank you for the promises of your word. As we live this difficult life, we have the promises of your word that you are always with us. You never leave us, you never forsake us. You comfort us yourself. So God, we cling to those promises. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.